The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. Support your healthy CoQ10 levels and blood pressure with two chews a day. Visit RadioBeatsBeets.com and save 15% with promo code DEAL. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, captivating and revealing interviews with top sports personalities and their connections to Chicago. They regale you with memorable and entertaining stories, some hilarious, some emotional, but all of them well worth your time. I'm George Hoffman, and please make sure you subscribe to Tell Me a Story I Don't Know on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, and the TuneIn app. Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is sponsored by Vienna Beef, makers of Chicago's hot dog and a Chicago institution since 1893. Find them at ViennaBeef.com. And by the Polina Market, Chicago's premier purveyors of fine meats and so much more since 1949. Find them at PolinaMarket.com. This week we feature the incomparable Marv Albert. Well, it was astounding, first of all, uh, when we first were told that there was a chase uh, in LA on the freeway and OJ Simpson, who actually, when I was doing NFL or NBC, was a side, a sideline reporter for our games with myself and Paul McGuire and uh, OJ was doing pregame reports and would do sideline reports. So we heard OJ, we couldn't believe it. This interview with Marv Albert was done back in October of 2020, and before he announced he would retire a little after his 80th birthday. There have been few sports announcers who have been part of the American culture like Marv Albert. His ties to Chicago are numerous, considering just how many big games he called during the Bulls' championship runs. His unique voice and delivery, coupled with perfectly timed punchlines, have been part of the landscape for well over 50 years. And he's authored some very popular catchphrases that can be summed up in one word, yes. So, with that in mind, Marv Albert, tell me a story I don't know. First of all, George, thank you for that uh, kind intro. A story I don't know. Well, I was a rock and roll disc jockey when I was at Syracuse University. Uh, we were very fortunate that several radio stations in the city, because I started, of course, as everybody does at the school station, mostly doing sports, but I auditioned for a disc jockey spot that was open at WOLF Radio, Wolf Radio, uh, 1260 on the dial. Uh, and uh, I, I loved it. I was on two hours every night, and we uh, spun all the discs, and Another disc jockey who was on the station, who I'm still friendly with, his name is Dick Snyder, or Tricky Dick Snyder, as he went to, <laughs> with that name on the air. And uh, we actually went into business. It was a great experience. We ran record hops because we were able to plug them you know, on the air. The, the station uh, did participate, but uh, we won 
uh, made some money and lost some money on it. And we would bring up people such as, and only a certain age group would relate, uh, Del Shannon, Chubby Checker, sure. the Belmonts without Dion, the Skyliners, Bobby V, who had a yep. lot of hits, plus a batch of one-hit wonders. Uh, and we rented a, uh, a huge auditorium and packed it and really – you know, did pretty well for a couple of college kids. So uh, that's something that people might not know. And uh, it actually was great experience because you would have to ad lib. Uh, you play your own records. You were your own engineer. And uh, it was a lot of fun. Nice way to earn money while I was going to college. So you were an entrepreneur early on. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I looked at a list of play-by-play -play announcers and analysts in their 70s and 80s, Marvin. The list is rather extensive. So tell me a story I don't know as you make the transition from septuagenarian to octogenarian, whether the word retirement has seeped into your vocabulary. Well, it actually began uh, with the pandemic when I kept telling my wife, this could be a re actually a rehearsal for retirement. And I... Uh, you know, aside for, you know, the horror that it has presented around, uh, around the world, I have not minded, I haven't had this experience because of, uh, I've always been so busy, so I haven't had the experience of being at home, but um, it, it gave me a different type of perspective, and I would have been uh, doing this past season if they had not gone to the bubble, that was something I thought about for a long time, as did uh, Jeff Zucker, who uh, runs uh, TNT, Warner Media, and NCNN, and it was thought it would be best not to be there. Although, as it turns out, there were a lot of fears at the time with this work, but the NBA did an incredible job. As did the NHL, because they basically piggybacked on the idea of a bubble. And I thought baseball was fortunate, but I probably would have been fine. And my health is is excellent, but you just never know when you reach seventies. So, I did not go, and I watched a lot of a lot of ball games along with reading, TV binging, working out. Uh, but it was so nice to have games back on. Uh, it was like a return to normalcy, uh, be it for basketball or I love watching baseball. Has the transition though doing that kind of been helpful in a way that perhaps? retiring cold turkey might not have been? Probably will, although I still love doing the games. It's kind of fun going to different cities, different arenas, uh, you know, getting together with coaches, players, uh, other broadcasters. I mean, uh, I, I, I do miss that. You know, you are so synonymous with New Yorkers having called the Knicks, the Rangers, the football giants, but you're ever present here for the many broadcasts of the Bulls during their rise in the championship years of the 90s. Tell me a story I don't know about that time, and perhaps about one fellow whose name is Michael Jordan. Wow, there's so many <laughs> memories. And, and what I enjoyed most about doing those games, aside from the excitement of the fact that they were the traveling Beatles, we often stayed at the same hotel. Uh, as the Bulls on the road and the crowds outside, they they had to have uh, uh, basically security people throughout the hotel, certainly in the lobby. They wouldn't let anyone else in. Uh, 
But we always, almost every game prior to the game, would have a sit-down interview with Michael, and he was great. I, every every soundbite, everything he said was usable on the air because we'd roll in, uh, you know, player-type uh, uh, soundbites, and we, we'd get four or five from Michael, and usually you'd run one or two. But everything he said, and you could really, I, I can remember even in the uh, playoff series, uh, the championship series against the Sonics, you could tell a lot from what he would say, uh, how he was using the Gary Payton matchup. Uh, he always looked for motivation. I mm -hmm. mean, I can remember there was a situation in Cleveland during the playoffs once there was a woman sitting courtside, probably in her 50s. And yeah, I don't know what she was yelling at, Michael. Maybe I don't want to know. But obviously, she was annoying him <laughs> as when he come down that end of the court. And he used that as motivation. Uh, he would look at her after every basket, every nice pass he would make. And I could see in talking about Peyton, uh, the look on his face and how he was able to use that. I remember asking him or mentioning one time, boy, I, I thought Peyton did a nice defensive job on you. And that got him going. What do you mean, nice defensive job? <laughs> I, I can do whatever I want again. But that was Michael. And he, we found him to be just uh, terrific. And that was the first time also uh, I, I got to know Steve Kerr, which has been now a long time uh, friendship. We worked together for eight years on the air. He left at one point. He said it was because he had enough of me. But he left to uh, <laughs> take the general manager job with the Phoenix Suns. Uh, but we knew immediately that he was going to be excellent on the air because of his sense of humor. He, he would write, you know, for various uh, websites. Uh, he was opinionated, and he was just great with people. And that's what he's brought to coaching with the Warriors, you know, how successful he's been. Of course, it helps to have that kind of roster, but you still have to be able to coach it. And uh, he, you know, he was just a, a delight to be around. You know, getting back to Jordan, he's provided so many highlight reels for fans around the world and broadcasters like yourself. But one in 1991 that has become instantly famous and so enduring, it was so succinct and, may I add, spectacular. So tell me a story <laughs> I don't know about those few words and how they have become so famous. Well, it was the move that he made. He's one for nine. The look away to Levingston. Jordan. Oh, a spectacular move by Michael Jordan. That's 13 consecutive field goals. Maybe Julius Irving had done it, you know, from time to time prior to his days in the NBA because we – I was able to see Julius when he was in the ABA because he did spend time with the, with the Nets. Uh, but it, it probably had not been seen where he skies and then switches hands in midair to hit that, uh, hit that field goal uh, in game one against uh, the Lakers. And the word spectacular just came to me. It was not, you know, anything. And it's a simple word. You know, it's been used – 
for other plays over the years by many broadcasters, but it just uh, it felt I was very much about the rhythm of the game. I, I thought there was it was almost like jazz, you know, uh, <laughs> because there is a rhythm to it, uh, and I think it just happened to come out of my mouth. There's nothing. Are, are you amazed? Are you amazed today? That it is, it's almost like Jordan's calling card is your call of that particular basket. Well, I don't know. He's done so much more. I mean, to me, there are so many memories about Michael, uh, you know, from the six three-pointers he hit in game one against Portland in the NBA finals. I I think it was game one. Maybe not. Was it? Yeah. Uh, But I remember he came out very early to shoot around, which he really did. You know, he'd usually just come out with uh, the rest of the guys. He, and, and he was uh, – w- I was doing that game with uh, Mike Fratello uh, and uh, Magic Johnson, and we were all surprised because he was just shooting threes. And in those days, three-pointers were not something that you would see, particularly from him. I, I believe he was like 27% from three-point range that season. So it was really uh, – we were kind of taken aback that he was taking the uh, the three-point shots. He was out there for a good 45 minutes, and then he hits the six in a row. Then he looked over. Here's Jordan for three. Yes! Did you see that look? Michael indicating he can't believe it. He was looking at magic. I know the czar claims he was looking at him. <laughs> Believe me, he was not. <laughs> but uh, he was, you know, he gave that shrug. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was also, uh, it was in the direction of, of Cliff Robinson was standing right next to him also. But it was, it was really at magic. I, as if to say, I can't believe I'm doing this. I had another Jordan story, which deals with his competitive nature. He played when, when the Dream Team was involved in Barcelona in 1988. No, it wasn't 88, 92, I'm sorry. They'd play a series of exhibition games against European teams, and one was in Monaco, which was pretty nice, actually. (laughs) So we were just watching the games, and it was a French team with a, a, a smaller player who he just dominated, Michael did. And the French guy started shoving him around. He tried to get physical with him. They were yelling at each other. It was really a, a, a physical type situation, even though Michael did basically anything he wanted to do. And it, it was just a war during the game. Then after the game, final buzzer goes, and the French player comes over with a photographer and asks for a picture with Michael. Michael puts his arm around, they put their arms around each other, <laughs> and they take a photo. With some, it was like weird to see that, how he can put it on and then shut it off. You know, it's all what he needs for that particular moment. I mean, aside from his greatness, you have to be pretty good to be able to have that kind of control. Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is sponsored by the Polina Market. And with the grilling season upon us, you have no excuse not to shop there. It's been Chicago's premier market for the finest meats and more since 1949. And it's gotten bigger and better. 
How about chicken and fish in your basket to go along with their absolutely mouth-watering steaks such as the tomahawk, porterhouse, and wagyu. And if you like brats and sausages, add that to your basket and head right to the grill. Then there's the vast frozen food section where everything is freshly made, including chicken pot pies, meatloaf, and pulled pork. Besides the addition of fresh seafood, the Plina Market is now serving sandwiches and also has a solid array of wonderful wines and beers Plus, they've expanded again, making the in-store experience even more satisfying. Remember, you can still order online and you can have it shipped wherever you live. I've been shopping here for 37 years and with good reason. The Polina Market is as good as it gets and conveniently located at 3501 North Lincoln Avenue in Chicago. Check them out on their impressive website at polinamarket.com. We return with marvelous Marv Albert on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. You know, I think it's easy, Marv, to simply ask anyone who's done this for as long as time as you have. And me, I've done this for 47 years. And people will say, well, what's the wow. highlight of your career? So I'm going to take a little bit of a different approach. Tell me a story of the most electric event you ever covered. Well, the first thought that comes to my mind there are, there are several the first time the dream team took the court at the tournament of americas in portland that was to qualify for the olympics and i got the chills welcome to the tournament of the americas one of the five regional olympic basketball qualifying tournaments 10 countries from the western hemisphere are represented here in portland four will move on to barcelona it was only two weeks ago that fans here in Portland were rooting for their Western Conference champion Trailblazers against the Chicago Bulls in the NBA Finals. Now they are unified in support of the United States Olympic team, what may well be the best basketball team ever assembled. Just seeing that group, because it, to me, it, it was the greatest collection of players in terms of a team sport that I think anyone has ever seen. You, you know, you see this whole Michael and Magic and uh, David Robinson. Uh, I mean, on and on. It was, uh, it was incredible. Bird was there, although he had a bad back. To see that caliber of team together like that. So, I mean, that, that really, that struck me. Uh, from a New York point of view, uh, when I had first started out in broadcasting, I did do the Knicks at an early age. And in the 69-70 finals against the Lakers, the big story was Willis Reed was mm -hmm. hurt. He had a thigh injury, sat out game six. They go into the garden for game seven. And the feeling was he was not going to play. And... I did the pregame show with Willis, and he said to me that he's going to play. And usually guys always say that, so I, I didn't take it seriously. But I, I was there. He, he got a shot in his thigh. And both teams were out on the court, but there was no Willis in the crowd. There was a buzz in the crowd. And then everything stopped as from underneath where we broadcast, there's a tunnel, and here comes Willis hobbling out of the court and the Lakers led by Will Chamberlain and Jerry West just stopped and stared. They couldn't 
believe that Willis was going to play. The crowd went crazy. That was the loudest crowd I ever heard at Madison Square Garden. Here comes Willis, and the crowd is going wild. On to read on the forecourt, right side from 20, jumps, yes! Willis has hit on his first two. And Willis really was not in good shape in, ter in terms of playing the game, but he hobbled on, he goes out, he starts the game, he hits his first two shots, side jump shots, and the crowd is going nuts. And those were the only two shots he hit. But his inspiration, which you usually don't believe can carry for a whole game, did. And the Knicks went on to beat the Lakers. And it was Walt Clyde Frazier who really had one of the greatest games in the history of the NBA Finals. Although I think Willis was voted most valuable player of the, uh, of the Finals. But Clyde had this triple-double and just extraordinary play. Uh, and it was overlooked at the time. But just the sound of that crowd coming out on the court, uh, I, I'd never heard anything like that. Uh, there were a couple of others. I mean, Bob Costas and I were doing the pre- and post-game shows for the World Series in uh, 88, and we would flip a coin before the game as to see which team we'd each have. And uh, in the coin flip, he got... He got the Dodgers, and I got the uh, Oakland A's, and that was the game Kirk Gibson hit that uh, home run, coming out of the dugout, you know, limping around the bases. Uh, and I was in the Oakland dugout at the time, and just to see, you know, it, it just deflated when he, to, to, you know, to be in that moment where it's the other team, Kirk Gibson, who wasn't even supposed to play, actually was still on the clubhouse and heard Vince Scully on the radio mentioned that he's hurt and not going to play, which obviously upset Kirk. And uh, I'm standing next to the manager of the A's at the time, Tony La Russa, And it, it was just, I'd never been in that type of situation where you're in the dugout because we're allowed to be there. Bob was in the Dodger dugout and uh, Bob ended up, this is for NBC interviewing Kirk Gibson, and I ended up uh, interviewing Dennis Eckersley, who was kind enough to come on after he allowed the home run ball. I'll never forget that. You are part of probably one of the most famous dual broadcasts of all time. You're calling the NBA Finals game between the Knicks and Houston Rockets in 1994, and suddenly the world becomes transfixed on the O.J. Simpson chase. Tell me a story I don't know. What was happening behind the scenes on your end? Well, it was astounding, first of all, uh, when we first were told that there was a chase uh, in L.A. on the freeway, and O.J. Simpson, who actually, when I was doing NFL at NBC, was a side, sideline reporter for our games. It was myself and Paul McGuire. And uh, OJ was doing pregame reports and would do sideline reports. So, you know, we knew him pretty well. And he was extremely well-liked, you know, which obviously there are other things that have occurred, which, you know, might change your opinion. But uh, so we heard OJ, we couldn't believe it. And uh, Dick Ebersole, who's the president of NBC Sports, was sitting in the stands to our left and uh, had 
an earpiece and he's listening to the broadcast and he was basically almost co-producing what was taking place in terms of our switching. I would do part of the game and then uh, I would hear, okay, you got to, you know, switch to, uh, to Tom. As soon as there is uh, some kind of a resolution of all of this, we'll be back. Let's go back now to Madison Square Garden. Thank you, Tom. As we mentioned earlier, it is difficult to make the transition from what is taking place in Southern California, but of course we will keep you posted on developments. And we're ready to go back to Tom Brokaw and NBC News coverage. And he would do an update, and this kept going. And I could see because across the way, when the media, the press was allowed to sit before they started selling the courtside seats, uh, they were across the way and they had TV monitors and the players were able to see, you know, during timeouts, what was happening. They couldn't believe it. And fans would come down uh, to that area just to watch the monitors. So people were kind of watching what was happening in LA and also, you know, watching the Knicks and the Rockets. But it, yeah, that was the strangest broadcast. I can imagine that, but, but, if that wasn't bizarre enough, let's backtrack a few years to the 1988 Olympic Games in Seoul, Korea, and the absolute chaos and controversy, and I watched this, it was absolutely surreal, that occurred during a boxing event. You were calling it. Tell me the story. Yes, yeah, so it was at the, the Shangshil Students Gymnasium, and there were so many corrupt decisions by the judges which uh, come out in later years, but there was one, there was a fighter by the name of Bian Jung Il who would not leave the ring. And they, they shut the lights off. Uh, he, he stayed there probably close to an hour. So we, there were two rings at the time, uh, but nothing could be done until he left the ring because he felt he got a bad decision. And he was a, a, a Korean boxer. Uh, then there was the Roy Jones decision where he was robbed, which we had said on, on the air, uh, where, I don't know, they try to make it up to him, but uh, he was uh, battling for one of the weight championships, and he, the Korean uh, was awarded the decision where it was so obvious that Roy Jones uh, won soundly. Well, there it is. Park Si-Han has stolen but uh, to make it up to him, they voted Roy Jones the uh, boxer of the tournament, and they didn't even, you know, didn't even win a championship. Uh, we had to have security with us. As we, meeting myself, and the fight doctor, Ferdy Pacheco, because we were uh, criticizing many of the decisions, and the uh, Korean Federation was very upset with that. So we all we were getting texts and. Uh, we had some notes sent to us uh, saying that, uh, you know, you better change your style of broadcasting, blah, blah. So there was always security with us, which was, you know, a lovely way to do uh, two weeks in Seoul, Korea. <laughs> so that, yeah, that was, uh, that was an odd one also. While we didn't discuss the misdemeanor assault charge in a celebrated sex case that prompted NBC to fire Marv Albert in 1997 only to rehire him in 1999, we're compelled to look back through his own words on the David Letterman show in late 1997. I, I, I was set up. 
I, I feel it was extortion on the, on the part of uh, the woman who I had a consensual relationship with for 10 years. Uh, we could not get our evidence in. Uh, there were all kinds of very complicated rape shield laws right. in, in the state of Virginia. We talked about this and, and, while and it was well going there on. Should be. And we think that this is an excellent piece of legislation. Uh, this particular person uh, had other extortion scams which have since come out. And uh, when there were breakups with men in particular in her life, uh, other th crazy things like that uh, would, would occur. And she had been just told that I was about to get engaged. And I th think it was her last crack at right. it. In fact, a former boyfriend came out, and there's a big story in the New York papers uh, last week, and said that she had planned to extort me five years ago. She was going to get money uh, out of me. So it's a combination of we could not get the interpretation of these extortion situations plus uh, they were able to bring anybody in they mm. wanted. So I'm standing there, you're looking at five years to life, right. as opposed to, uh, and I think the judge saw it from a common sense point of view, and you know, after conferring with my attorney, Roy Black, we're looking at a misdemeanor uh, going from five years to life to one year probation, and, and you're out of you there. Like you it's like you're a The easiest way to hear more great guests on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is to follow me on social media at George Offman. That's O-F-M-A-N, just one F, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And please subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and the free TuneIn app, and wherever you get your podcasts. Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is sponsored by Vienna Beef, makers of Chicago's Hot Dog and a Chicago institution since 1893. It's grilling season, so what better than throwing some mouth-watering Vienna hot dogs and Polish sausages on the grill? Then drag them through the garden, which includes yellow mustard, onions, relish, tomatoes, sport peppers, pickles, and celery salt. I don't know about you, but I'm getting hungry. And look for the new spicy smoked sausage available in your local retail stores. It includes a perfect blend of seasonings such as crushed red peppers and brown sugar, creating a bold and zesty taste. Vienna products are available just about everywhere from restaurants, grocery stores, and the ballpark, Socks and Cubs, museums, and zoos. You can't miss them. Plus, you can purchase them online coast to coast at ViennaBeef.com and Amazon. Vienna also has Farm Acres Chili, Mini Bagel Dogs, condiments, and classic deli meats. Take the word from a guy who grew up on Vienna products. It's the mark of excellence since 1893. Check them out at ViennaBeef.com. Part of the lure of watching you work is how you dispense with some hilarious barbs to your analysts. So tell me a story I don't know why this has worked so well for you. I, I always felt sense of humor uh, was of significance that you can't take yourself too seriously. At the right time, you don't want to, uh, you know, fool around uh, constantly. So you'd have to kind of pick, pick your spots. But more would happen prior to games because uh, Mike Fratello Lazar was a walking punchline. Way back out onto the court. He did confirm that the wrist was sore, but he gave me that warrior shrug like the game must go on, so he'll continue to play with it. Marv? Yes, that warrior shrug. Something I know you have uh, seen on many an occasion. Yeah, I go on with you a lot of nights. It's very difficult. Right, right. But Jordan averaged 32. <laughs> when he worked with us, be it with sometimes it was a three man booth and Reggie Miller would be with us. This during the playoffs, or uh, Jeff Van Gundy originally was with us. Steve Kerr sometimes would uh, be with uh, 
with Mike. But Mike had this thing, particularly when it was someone new, he would hide their sport jacket somewhere. <laughs> and whoever it was, they'd go nuts because you have to, you were leaving the green room to you know go out to the broadcast table and get ready. But he would hide sport jackets. This is this is what turned him on. It, it, was, <laughs> it, was, very, it was sick. <laughs> uh, yeah. They still they still talk about it. Oh my goodness! Uh, but you know, if there if there's an opportunity to uh, do a subtle joke, I, I would not pass it up. So, are you free to stay uh, for the game? I know you are very busy. I have a very full schedule tonight, but what I'll try to so watch. It, it's a sundial. Let's get back to Ernie immediately. Fortunately, you know, most of the guys I work with always. Had a sense of humor from Steve to uh, the czar, Reggie and Chris. Uh, you know, it was great to work with on NFL, Sam Weish. He, he really had a, uh, I would say, off-the-wall sense of humor, as his players always knew when he was you know, head coach of the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, so we had a lot of laughs. And I, I think you have to have a little of that, which means you're also listening to your partner So. Some people don't necessarily uh, listen all the time because they're concentrating very hard. That, that just been my my style. Even when I was doing the uh, local news at Channel Four WNBC TV in New York, I would uh, play the wild and the wacky, and would uh, have a, that type of relationship with the people who were the uh, news anchors. Like Tom Snyder worked with us for a while. Sure. Uh, and he was he was great to work with us. He, he's the one person that everybody listening to this would would know. The others were basically New York fixtures who were, who were really terrific. But uh, and and Tom also was off the wall with his some of his uh, days of having a you know where he you know just feel like firing away at whoever was uh, was there. And I, I I thought that was important. And uh, David Letterman used to watch us all the time because they were they were across the hall from us. And he said, you know, the bloopers you play, and this was a time where not much of that was being done. Today it's done all over, you know. But uh, he said, you know, that would be great with crowd reaction. Why don't you come on and and uh, play the bloopers, play the wild and the wacky. So that's where that started. With basketball, what a shot by this fan who wins $75,000 in the appreciation of LeBron James. All right, here is cheerleader Ashley Amal adding a degree of difficulty to the half court. Oh, my goodness. And then he would ask me to do bits, you know, uh, with, with him. And I'm, he used to say, if we're ever down a guest, we just call Mar from across the way. <laughs> So let me tell you a story you don't know about me and Marv Albert. This is 1979, if memory serves me correct. And I'm just beginning my professional career here at home in Chicago. And the Bulls asked me if I want to do stats for Marv Albert and the Knicks. The answer was yes, of course. Mm -hmm. So I spruced up in a three-piece suit. The job paid 25 bucks, which was a lot of money back then for a fledgling broad... It was it was a lot of money, but I, what I remember the most is you made it so easy to work with you, and I would do this again several times over the next 10, 15 years. So a belated thank you, Marv. 
Well, I was very upset you left me <laughs> because you were too busy. Uh, those, and, and those were great days. I mean, I'd love doing the games at uh, Chicago Stadium and then United Center. Uh, just the whole scene there. Uh, that, was, that was that was the best in basketball. That scene, hockey was was excellent. Uh, I, I I did the Rangers for a number of years, and that was my favorite place to go. Al, Al Melgard, I recall, right? Yes, the organist Oregon. Al Melgard. Right, he pounded away where <laughs> we were up in some booth high above the ice, and it would shake when he would hit the keyboard. tremendous you know what that what that did and just looking down this is the bobby hull days yep and the to bobby hull and of course they had great teams and the kick i got doing games you know at chicago stadium uh not only for hockey obviously but the, the basketball uh because the teams were so good they weren't good right away when when i started but they uh, obviously became, you know, during the championship years, uh, the ticket around the country. And uh, I felt so fortunate to be able to, you know, be there courtside and do the game. You know, your son, Kenny, has become a premier broadcaster, is the only sportscaster, people do not know this, in history, who currently does the play-by-play -play for all four major sports. Then... There are your brothers who were very accomplished play-by-play -play men, Steve and Al, and there is more. So tell me a story I don't know if this is part of the Albert Cabal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, with Kenny uh, and with all my kids, I have four kids, two boys, two girls, when uh, I was uh, doing a lot of work uh, in many sports, not as many as Kenny does, but I would switch off taking them on the road just to be able to spend more time. And I thought it was eye-opening for them to be able to travel and go to various places. So uh, I, I, Kenny in particular was interested at a very early age doing sports. And when I was a kid, I started out, my father gave me a woolen sack. Uh, very few people will know the reference there but it was a wool and sack tape recorder and i would do games off the tv set you know put the sound down as i'm sure many broadcasters have done and i uh, had my own fictitious radio station with my initials wmpa and uh kenny did the same he had kga his initials kenny gary albert so uh he when anybody came over to our house, particularly if it was a sports figure. Uh, like we were friendly with Julius Irving who lived nearby. And I remember Phil Jackson came over once uh, and uh, we had various hockey players there all the time when I was doing the Rangers and we had like Chico Resch who was then with the Devils, mm -hmm. a goaltender. Uh, he, he, Kenny would disappear with our friend and he would take him into his room shut the door, lock it, and do an interview with him. We He's locked seven it. years old. <laughs> I had to apologize to the person he was interviewing afterwards. I said, no, it's okay. It's okay. But uh, 
that was his start uh, in broadcasting. And now, as you mentioned, he's doing, uh, you know, so many sports, most, mostly hockey and uh, NFL. He does the Rangers and he's, you know, been doing NBC and the uh, NBC cable games also. It's been a family affair. It has. Well, Al and Steve saw that uh, this was a nice way to make a living. And in fact, they originally worked for me when I started out in radio and uh, said, hey, this is this is something we'd like to do. And uh, one went to Kent State, the other went to Ohio University, and uh, they did sportcasting work there and then, uh, you know, worked in various cities and ended up as NBA announcers, NHL announcers, both did boxing. Uh, so, yeah, it is. It, uh, we would even do play-by-play, we play these uh, ping-pong matches in our basement, and two of us would play, the other would be announcing it on his tape recorder. And ping-pong is not an easy sport to announce. Uh, Al had a little bit of a temper. He'd throw his racket, which would bring my parents running down to the basement and and being upset. But anytime things went awry for him, that racket would be flung across the room. Uh, so we, we kind of barred him for, well, he was suspended for short, no fine, but he was suspended <laughs> from active duty. Uh, but, uh, yeah, they both became excellent broadcasters. I mean, Steve, they're both retired. Steve was doing the Phoenix Suns for the last five years and, uh, could have kept going. And Al was, had done the, uh, both did the Nets at one time or another. Uh, but Al had done the Indiana Pacers and the Denver Nuggets for long periods of time. So, uh, but they're both uh, retired, enjoying the good life. You know, I conclude all of these interviews with this final question, Marv. If it wasn't for broadcasting, what would you have been? Let's see. That's a, that's an excellent question. I well, I don't know if this would be considered too close to broadcasting. My other interest. And from the third grade on, I said I wanted to be a sports announcer. And the other interest was writing, sports writing. And, uh, you know, I, I wrote for my high school newspaper for uh, the, the Orange and Syracuse. And I thought that might be an avenue that's kind of closely related, but it is writing, which is certainly uh, helpful in terms of uh, the sports casting because you do a lot of writing. Uh but that probably would have been it. I did play the piano for about eight years, even played in recitals, can give you the opening bars of Autumn Leaves and Malaguena. Wow, very good. But no, not, that would not have been on the, uh, on the list of possibilities. So I, I would say probably some form of, of writing or maybe uh, it, something else in TV if it were in sports. You are a treasure, Marv. Continued health, and thank you very much for telling me a story I don't know. Thank you very much, George. Appreciate it. And uh, if you ever decide you want to do some more statistical work, (laughs) we will raise that $25 fee. (laughs) I'm all in. Thank you, Marv. Okay. All right. Thanks. My thanks to NBC Sports, NBC News, The David Letterman Show, and TNT for those absolutely wonderful highlights. 
Thanks, as always, to T.J. Reeves for putting this podcast on the map, Will Hatzel for his deft editing, T.T. Shinkin for her artistic touch, and Ken Schreiner for always being there. And, of course, to our presenting sponsors, the Polina Market. Find them at polinamarket.com and the Vienna Beef Company in business since 1893. You can find them at viennabeef.com. Join me next time for another edition of Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. I'm George Hoffman, and that's all she wrote. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.